Welcome to the Disciples Dialogue, where believers celebrate their commonalities, share their testimonies, and edify the body of Christ. Each episode contains healthy conversations between Brother Jill and guest speaker. Thanks for joining the Disciples Dialogue. Praise the Lord, everyone. Welcome back to the Disciples Dialogue. Thank you so much for joining me again. I have another guest speaker here with me tonight, and I am very, very excited to have with me tonight Brother Jeremiah Zuniga. Uh, Brother Jeremiah, welcome to the Disciples Dialogue. Brother Till, thank you for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. Um, for anyone who does not know Brother Zuniga, um, this gentleman, uh, actually I had a, we have a friend in common um, who reached out to me and kind of hooked us up and, and got us talking to one another. And we had a phone call maybe a couple of months ago. And um, I was, we was talking before we hit the record button here that um, during that conversation, I don't know how you felt, but I was, I was, my socks were kind of blown off at um, what you have to offer, what you're studying and, and just the, the knowledge that you have, even at, at such a young age. And so I knew immediately I have to get this guy on the podcast. Uh, this is going to make for great content. And so tonight uh, we are going to talk about the Ten Commandments. And I know that some might think that this is um, a little elementary, um, maybe a, a subject that has been exhausted, but I, I beg to differ. I think that there is uh, a lot to be said about this and, and some more to, to learn and so I'm eager to learn. I'm excited to have you on. So, Brother Zuniga, would you take a moment and just introduce yourself and tell us a little about who you are, where you're from, and what you're studying? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, again, super excited to, to join you here on, on the podcast. Uh, I am very young still. Uh, so, of course, 27 years old, just turned 27. Uh, I'm finishing up my degree currently at Wesley Seminary, working through my Master's of Divinity. Uh, my specializations in biblical studies, so it gives me a lot of fun opportunity to engage with Scripture uh, and and see what God word God's word has for us. Um, before attending Wesley, I actually went to Indiana Bible College, a place where I, I really hold my degree from IBC in high regard. It's helped me a great deal uh, as I pursued additional studies in, in at Wesley. Uh, Wesley's also a really fantastic place for me to dive in. Uh, they're really respectful of uh, our our views of scripture, uh, which is really fun to to have that conversation where it's in an academic setting, mm-hmm. uh, where we can really sharpen uh, the way I communicate some of our, our our doctrines, things like that. So it's been really really fun environment to to really sharpen what what I believe and how I say it. So wow, well, you you have a a way in which you carry yourself that um, I have a high respect for. Um, you even at, at 27 years old, it's uh, it's remarkable the the way that you carry yourself, the way that you dissect the word, um, and the way that you talk about the scripture. And and so um, I plan on learning uh, from you more so than I do plan on teaching tonight. Um, and so I'm excited to get into this. I know that we talked briefly a while back about the Ten Commandments and. And what all there is to uncover here, and so, what's your relationship with the the Ten Commandments? And um, in talking about this, I guess to preface the the whole conversation, 
what is it about the Ten Commandments that draws you, lures you in? Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, I've got some, uh, there's there's a term that I've picked up, orienting concerns. I've got some orienting concerns uh, just in general, things that uh, kind of focus me as I study, uh, things that focus me in life generally. And a part of those are just, I believe God's word is absolutely essential to our lives. And so whatever I have to do to make sure I'm careful with the text mm-hmm. is something that is important. And uh, really, a lot of my studies in the Ten Commandments uh, emerged from a conversation I was having with a, a close friend of mine. He was reading a book on the sovereignty of God by Arthur Pink. And there was a line where uh, Pink says, uh, essentially says, hey, I, I understand we talk a lot about humans, uh, humanity's responsibility. Uh, but what about God? Does God not have rights? And uh, we've got this large conversation in society about different groups, their rights, and who has rights. And so that made me think about how we use the term image bearers, right? Where if we're all made in God's image, who, uh, what, what rights do we have as we bear or have been given this image to bear? And uh, that led me right to the Ten Commandments where God starts to talk initially about uh, not making an image uh, after him. He's he's very clear about that. And uh, then it leads further into uh, some of the third commandment, uh, which I think we can park at today a little bit and uh, unpack some of that, uh, but how we bear his name as well. So yes. uh, that's uh, what really led me into this, uh, the, this text and a lot of things that are there to unpack. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far ahead in the conversation yeah. uh, and dive right in, but that's uh, that's really what led me directly to this text. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm again. I'm so excited to 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 talk about it. it, it I had never looked at it uh, and saw maybe in the light that that you were shining on on this text um, as when we talked last time. So I'm excited to get into it. Um, I have labeled this uh, conversation, this episode, the Decalogue. I'm sure that's a term that you're familiar with. It is the uh, reflects the Greek translation of what we would find in the book of Exodus uh, 34 and 28 um, when it talks about the Ten Commandments. Of course, deca means ten, and so decalogue would be the ten words or ten commandments. And so just to clarify um, what that is and what that stands for, um, the Ten Commandments are outlined twice in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Um and, and one thing that I, I found before I kind of pass the ball to you here and let you run with it, um, and I'll, I'll allude to this later in the conversation and kind of hopefully tie it all together, but uh, the word, the Ten Commandments instructions uh, for Moses and the children of Israel were inscribed on stone by the finger of God. Um, do you have any anything that you'd like to speak to that? Uh, there, I, not a lot that I want to share around that. Uh, I know that there are only a few times where we read in Scripture where God uses his finger to write things. Mm-hmm. Um, super important places in Daniel where we read about uh, the finger, that the hand that moves and writes on, on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I find incredibly interesting around that specifically, uh, how we uh, come to understand that, which I think we'll, we'll end up getting there as well, is... Uh, what's so unique about the Ten Commandments, among other things, there are a few things that are really unique about it. Um, 
the documents that are contemporary to the Ten Commandments are tr uh, traditionally related to the identity of the king or the ruler in that, that day. Mm -hmm. And when you get to the Ten, Ten Commandments, it is not a man saying uh, that you're doing this for me uh, because I, I need this glory. Yeah. Uh, but God says, I'm going to, I can speak for myself. And uh, what I think is so interesting about the finger of God writing and, and giving us his word here is that God is not someone who is so far from us that he has to have Moses uh, as the mediator, which ultimately we do find where Moses has been on the, 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 the mountain Sinai. Mm -hmm. And even in response to the Ten Commandments, we read where the people are still, they don't want that personal uh, connection when God has already just spoken to them directly. Uh, if you look at the Ten Commandments, they're all very personal terms. He says thou. He's speaking in terms of singularity. Yes. And so he's he's talking to them directly. And uh, I think that that's incredibly unique when we start to read how we get that in God himself providing that with his hand for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I agree 100%. And I, I like to to think about the involvement of, of the people. Of course, there was a, a mediator. Um, Moses was the, uh, he was the mediator between the children of Israel and, and God, you know, God called Moses up to the mountain uh, to, to bring back down to the people. And the people of course feared what they saw going on from a distance. Yeah. Um, so there was a, a, a fear, not so much a reverence, I don't think, but a, a, a literal fear of the smoke, the lights, the, uh, it scared them. And so, yeah. but I feel like oftentimes what scares us uh, and, and prevents us from forming that relationship or building upon that relationship that we need to have with God is, uh, is the fact that his word does still command us to do things, right? The commandments are, yeah. were not um, specific for the children of Israel in that day in the Old Testament, but they, that's something that carried through, right? They, uh, of course, Jesus said, I, I've come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Um, but that doesn't mean that the Ten Commandments just go away for us, right? So uh, there again, we should not be fearful, uh, but it's it's an instruction. It's, uh, it's to keep us. It's a protection for us. And so um, I, I want to say this. I, I found something uh, that you had said several years ago, and I want to uh, get your view on this again. Uh, back in 2020, you were a, you, I found a quote from you that says, many times we view the Ten Commandments as prohibition. Uh, you said, let's change that mindset. They represent promise as the tables of covenant. You go on to say, God said, if you will, I will, for all the earth is mine. You referenced uh, Exodus 19 and 5. And as much as I keep covenant, covenant keeps me. Could you speak to that yeah. a little bit? Yeah, no, absolutely. There is uh, this idea in, in Jewish writing that uh, God is faithful, his, his faithfulness, his mercy, uh, and his goodness. Uh, we read some of this language uh, also when uh, David talks about Mephibosheth, and he's talking about the covenant he made with uh, his friend, Jonathan. Uh, the same kind of language is used there where he's saying, I've got to keep this covenant uh, because I, th there is this understanding that if we keep covenant, covenant keeps us. And so as he kept covenant, uh, that covenant that, that David had kept with Jonathan would allowed for provision and protection for his son. Mm. 
And so uh, the same mindset comes into the Ten Commandments in, in Jewish writing where the idea is not just, I am not allowed to do these things. There's, of course, this element that, that grows and emerges uh, as the, the commandments expand throughout uh, rabbinic literature. But this idea, this notion that it is not simply us uh, having a set of rules. It is These are things that protect us. Mm. These are things that allow for us to be God's special treasure, his peculiar people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, a large part of when you read through uh, Numbers or or Exodus 19, uh, 5, 4, uh, 6 there, a lot of people would, there there are some conversations about this being the hinge or the linchpin for much of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And it is centered largely around that promise that, hey, you've seen me bear you out on eagle's wings. And all of these things that I've done, you know my power, you know my mind, you know my strength. Mm-hmm. Because of this, I'm going to call you and set you apart as a, a holy people, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Um, but he says you're a special treasure to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a part of that treasure, a part of this, it's not simply just, hey, don't do this. But it's a promise that he will uh, treasure us as a people. And so uh, along with that comes his protection and provision. Yeah, and thank God for that. Um, Amen. Thank God for the warning, for the instruction. It's I, 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 there's so many examples. Um, a few that are bombarding my mind right now. I've got two children, um, and they've got go karts and and things that they like to ride out in the in the yard in the field. But um, just something that came to my mind was, you know, some things you learn by experience. Some things um, require and demand a a warning. Uh, and so on their go-kart, of course, um, if you touch the muffler, um, you won't, you'll learn quickly that it's hot. You know, if you've run it for a while and it's going to burn you, it's going to hurt you. And, and of course your flesh will pay the price for that. Um, so they, through common sense, they, they realized, Hey, if we, um, if we uh, put this warning label on there and we impress it into the, the metal and it says hot, um, it might prevent the the pain, the suffering, uh, so that a young child uh, would, if they would, if they could just read that and just hear what the warning that we're giving them, it might prevent the the pain. And so, I think the the Ten Commandments serve the same purpose. Um, if we just take them for face value, it is a warning to for for God's people's protection. Um, and of course, today a lot of people look at the Ten Commandments, not only that, but also the entire Word of God as just a bunch of rules. And I think we do God and His Word a disservice to view them as only rules and not guardrails. Um, I can't, I would not want to travel down some roads not having guardrails. You know, they're not there to keep me from experiencing all of what lies on the other side of that white line. Um but they're there to protect me, understanding that how dangerous it is to cross that white line. Could yeah. you, could you, so um, what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And there are, I think, I love that you brought up uh, the passage in, I think it's Matthew five nineteen or 18, uh, where Jesus says, think not that I came to uh, do away with the law, but to uh, fulfill it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at the language there, what he's saying is, I'm, I've come to show its fullest expression. And it's so appropriate to uh, the Ten Commandments, because when we think about what happens at 
Sinai, it's, that's where the, the people become a nation, right? We, we read about in Genesis where it's a family. This family grows into a, this kind of group of people that, that are expanding very rapidly in, in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, they leave, and when they get to Sinai, God gives them this table of covenants, this law, this thing that binds them together, and now they become a nation. Mm-hmm. He says, you're going to be that holy nation, right? And as they receive this, they become the nation. Uh, they understand that they had entered a covenant with, with God. They have become... Uh, for lack of better terms, is vassal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are his people. And when you look at the New Testament in Christ, what Christ comes to do, uh, of course, throughout the Old Testament, you see where this is uh, up and down, right? It's oh, yes. they, they're in, they're out, yeah. they're in, they're out. Yeah. Those uh, guidelines of what they had committed themselves to kind of fall away. And as they are uh, very back and forth with their relationship with God, what Christ does in the New Testament as he sets that aright, he, he shows them that, hey, I can show you as the perfect covenant partner what it looks like to be in relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, right? That term mystery, the Greek there is, I don't want to throw a bunch of Greek and Hebrew tonight, but it's mysterion, which this is not the idea of mystery we have today. It's not this idea that it's something that we, we don't know. We could never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it actually conveys is this idea of something that was once hidden that is now revealed. Mm-hmm. And when we read that, right, hey, we didn't know. We, we knew through the law what death looked like. We, we knew that we could be held accountable for this through the law. Now, through the revelation of Jesus Christ, we have the understanding we can live this. It's not just, uh, I'll quote my pastor here, it's not just a bunch of thou shalt nots anymore. Now it's thou shalt be. Uh, so instead of thou shalt not do, now you've got to be this because you have empowerment from his spirit. Uh, there's there's that extra help. There's that advocate, that, that comfort, that yes. thing that comes beside us to encourage us to live in covenant with God. And so, yeah, it, it's as much as we read the, the, the Bible as these are some guidelines for our life. These are some this is something that can can not just encourage us to continue, mm-hmm. um, but gives us the example of how to continue. It gives us the empowerment of how to continue. We're not doing this on our own. Right. Yeah. So it, yeah. No, I absolutely love that. Yeah. And as, as you were speaking, uh, I guess it just kind of dawned on me some of the pieces are coming together to see the full picture. Um, if we look at, you know, God calls Moses, Hey, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. They come through the Red Sea. They come through the wilderness. They come to Sinai. Uh, they get the 10 commandments. They have instruction. Now Moses is still leading the people. Uh, of course they're heading towards their promised land, Canaan. Um, Moses doesn't quite make it in, of course, you know, through some some things that he had to deal with and he got to see it, didn't enter in. And so that torch was passed down to Joshua. Of course, Caleb was a great leader as well. Um, and when Joshua died, um, the torch really wasn't passed to anyone else, any one man as their leader, but they had the the law still. They had the commandments that they, they got from God through Moses. Uh, and, and of course, Joshua, um, uh, I believe that under his leadership would have continued to remind them, hey, this is what God has instructed us to do. Here's what we can and we cannot do. Um, but once Joshua died 
And then, of course, you get into the book of Judges. Now God has set up these judges to uh, instruct the people. But the law never disappeared. Um, the law remained. And, and so even if Moses is not around, Joshua's not around, Caleb's gone, you know, Caleb dies, the judges, they, they're there for a short time. Um, the law never leaves, right? The law is, is there to stay. And then we fast forward all the way through to the New Testament, to Jesus. When, and we get back to that, that verse that we've mentioned. Jesus says, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. He was God manifest in the flesh, robed in flesh, who spoke to Moses, gave him the law. Now he's coming to fulfill the law. So we still, it's still not disappeared. It's still not gone away. And of course, Jesus dies, resurrects. He ascends into heaven and he says, I will, I will come back. You know, I'm coming back for my people again. And, and so the law has never gone away. It's never been, um, okay for us to, place it on the shelf and say, well, that's Old Testament, right? It's not, that's not a, an accurate statement to say, well, that, that disappeared and these things no longer pertain to us. Uh, we're under the new law. Old Testament um, commandments. Now, now under, obviously, let me ask you this. Could you speak to the difference between these Ten Commandments and the 613 Levitical laws and, and maybe why we're uh, subject to some of them but not all of them? Yeah, so uh, I'll divide it into, so we look at the the term New Testament, Old Testament, right? Uh, the, the word testament comes from really the word for covenant. So that's the old covenant. This is the new covenant mm-hmm. that we, we get to experience. And so even when you look through Ezekiel, his prophecies there uh, around the, the new covenant that he puts in our hearts, that God puts in our hearts, things like that, even in Isaiah uh, a lot of the, the distinction there is, and I like to also think about the book of James where he talks about the perfect law of liberty. Uh, we are held accountable to the the law of the spirit, right? Which is there is a, a greater law now. So it's there are things within the, the old covenant that we, we, of course, we still look at, but there is a greater fulfillment, fulfillment as the progression of God's revelation comes to us through the New Testament as he comes to us himself. Uh, now we know this is how we should live through this and how we interact with uh, these things. So even as I read a lot of the Old Testament laws, there are, of course, uh, you'll hear some uh, divided into into categories where you have the ceremonious or ceremonial laws, the uh, Levitical laws, things like that, where we have different, different examples of laws. Um, as you examine those, of course, there are dietary restrictions that are in place. And some of those you can observe very clearly that God is protecting them from, from very specific things where mm-hmm. they have to have this practice when uh, to handle certain kinds of things like death. Uh, of course, now we, we, we interact with, with dead bodies differently. And so mm-hmm. uh, those things that were in place for their protection uh, we might not have to engage with uh, in that in that capacity anymore. So uh, those are the way that I approach those um, and and think about it. But even more specifically with how we interact with what God has in His moral law, uh, what He has commanded of us, uh, those things I, I, are transcendent. Those are things that we find uh, there. There are conversations about the Hammurabi Code, things like that. 
Um, I do think, though, that the Ten Commandments distinguish themselves from those ancient legal codes in a, a very unique way. Um, and so, like, even as I examine the Hammurabi, Hammurabi Code uh, and the Nashah, not the absoluteness that comes with uh, these Ten Commandments, that is uh, in some ways not found there. There are different authors that have talked about that. But also, if I look at and in my research, what I've done, I've made it a point to look at uh, contemporary suzerain treaties. And so there's a, uh, a fun translation of a Hittite uh, king. His name was Mersili II. Mm-hmm. And what he does is he, he sets a covenant, a treatise with one of his vassals. Uh, this vassal was uh, a, a, much, uh, a king that did not have as much power as he did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe it was the king of Amaru. And so this king, he, as Mersili sets this covenant with him, uh, you'll notice that there are, are large movements within this covenant. Um, I think about the preamble that's there where he establishes his identity. He says who he is. But then when he, he turns into the stipulations, much of it is about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he uses language when he when he introduces himself that talks about basically talks about how he's the God's favorite. He is uh, moving into patterns of deifying himself, which is normal within uh, the Mesopotamian area. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the contrast between Egyptian uh, conversations about deity, deification, there are distinctions between that and the Mesopotamian, but really the conversation between all of them still continue to maintain this idea of kingship, ownership, rights. And uh, we don't really have any Egyptian legal codes that have survived, uh, but we do have some things that, that we have uh, to compare to some, some things about oath-taking that we can look at. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, it's super fun to look at some of those. But uh, back to your question about uh, how we approach the old covenant versus the new covenant, I think with the empowerment of the Spirit, and as we look at what Christ did as our uh, the the example of what it looks like to be in covenant relationship with God, mm-hmm. um, I think we see the fulfillment or the fullest expression of some of those things, and we can we can better understand how we engage with those as well. Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask you about this. Um, as far as the order of commandments given, uh, of course, the first commandment. For the children of God, the children of Israel, not to have any other gods before Him, Jehovah yeah. God. Is there uh, any importance, in in your opinion, to the order of which He gave the commandments? Yeah, no, I, I think so. Absolutely. If you, as I look at the structure, um, I actually look back to uh, Exodus nineteen sixteen, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of what I've uh, been working through, I'm, I'm working in some some writing. Uh, some some extracurricular writing that I'm doing. Um, if you look at verse 16 and verse 19 in, in chapter 19, it starts by talking about the shaking of the mountain. It talks about the lightning. It talks about how all of these things uh, in earth and heaven, how they respond to the Lord. Um, if you look at the end, the conclusion of the, the Ten Commandments, there's the same response from the heaven, the earth, uh, the all of these things respond the same way to to God. So I think that the, the the order in which God speaks to them, I think it's incredibly important because 
when it starts off, he says, firstly, I'm going to speak for myself, right? We think about the surrounding culture and how those legal codes, how those uh, covenants, how those treaties mm-hmm. are ordered. It is largely men saying that I'm going to speak on behalf of the gods. And not only am I speaking on behalf of the gods, but I'm going to say that I am either one of them mm-hmm. or I belong as their special representative. And God largely says, I'm, I'm going to speak on my own behalf here. Yeah. And as he begins to work through them, uh, you'll notice there is that preamble that goes from verse, uh, really verse two to verse three. Uh, and he starts by introducing and says that, hey, uh, when he goes into the stipulations, he says, no other gods beside me. Mm-hmm. Before me, there, there's you can't have those. Um, there are some people that would argue that this presupposes that there, the, the understanding of the day were that there were the existence of other gods, mm-hmm. but Yahweh is, is the supreme God. Um, a lot of those ideas come also with other baggage uh, and ideas about a an editor or redactor. They often use the term deuteronomist that comes through and redacts it, cleans it up to make it sound like there's just one God. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this is uh, academic theory that is uh, both being uh, constantly being rejected and then reaccepted in different in different settings. Uh, but here in the text, it's very hard to dis- to identify anything like that. Um, if you notice in most Bibles, the word Lord there should be translated it with all lowercase capitals. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different places where you'll see Lord, but it'd be lowercase. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the translators giving you a heads up, really, that that there is what we call the tetragrammaton or the uh, name of, of God, Yahweh. Yes. And that is so significant. Earlier in the in the text in, in Exodus six, in Exodus, uh, when when God is talking directly to Moses in Exodus three, He tells him, "Hey, I'm going to reveal my my name to you in a way that I have not yet revealed it." And so we think about the way God has revealed His name. Uh, he, he's already known by Abraham for making covenant. He cuts covenant with Abraham. Mm-hmm. Uh, they walk through right and. So he's saying here that he's going to make himself a people by his name. Mm. So he introduces himself by, I am Yahweh, your God. Yeah. And what's so significant about that is because this word, this name of God, Yahweh, it carries the idea, which we can see here in the text of this creator who is unique and all of nature, all of creation responds to his voice. Mm-hmm. They, the, the heavens shake, the, uh, there's lightning, there's, there's this cloud, right? Everything responds to his voice. Yes. Uh, but further, it's not just that he's creator. He's the same creator who is going to be covenant maker, not just with a person, mm-hmm. but with a people. But then as he speaks to them, he speaks to them in singularity. He doesn't say, you all shall not have, he says, you, yeah. thou. Singular term, which is one reason why I love uh, the KJV, because it, it gives you that indication. It's not just a generic you, which could be both singular or, or plural, but it's very clear here. It's it's singular. I want you to know that you can't have other gods beside me. Right. Uh, so he speaks to the people, but it's almost like he's whispering in everybody's ear wow. at the same time. It's like I'm talking to you. Yeah. I want you to know, hey, you can't you can't have any other gods beside me. Uh, but then as he builds even further. Um, I like to think about, and as as I've uh, done some writing on, 
Uh, I like to think about the structure of uh, Psalm 8. I have that in mind when I think about the Ten Commandments. Uh, if you notice that the Psalter, he talks about this, and we call it a, a creation doxology, right? The, the term doxa coming from glory. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the, the, the glory of God in creation. Uh, he starts off with the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth show us his hand or day into day. Or that's Psalm 19, but he, he, he talks about, oh, Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Yes. Uh, and so he's who has set thy glory above the heavens. Um, the, the word there, when he talks about setting the name of God uh, in, in God's name, it's, it's some of the same language that we find in the, the third commandment. Mm-hmm. Um, but he not only begins by, by examining and understanding that all of heaven responds to the, to the glory of God mm-hmm. and the excellence of his name, but he builds to a point and he's talking about largely the glory of God in creation, but he moves and he's like, Hey, and it builds to that point in the center where he says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Yeah. And the son of man that thou visitest him. And he starts to move from talking about God as he builds toward that peak mm-hmm. in, in Psalm eight. And he, as he descends down the other side of the mountain, he pivots and he says, you have crowned him with glory and with honor. Yeah. And then you start to see the same response to what was said at the beginning of the psalm, moving down at the end. And he's talking about this man that he, he's, he's envisioning here in the, the messianic prophecy. And so when you look back at the Ten Commandments and you look at the, the build of the Ten Commandments, uh, we talk about the horizontal and verticalness of the Ten Commandments, where the first four commandments, you realize that they're about God. All right, this is yes. how you worship God. This is how you glorify God. Mm-hmm. And it hinges because it switches on a point, and the first word that indicates we're talking about man is honor thy father and mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he here God is telling them, you give me glory. Glory belongs to me. Yeah. Glory does not belong to anything that I created. And so he, you'll find there in the middle, I think it's verse 12 here, uh, where he he is, that's where he makes a switch. But if you look right before it, um, verse ten, it says the seventh day. He starts talking about the Sabbath. Hey, you you keep the Sabbath work uh, for in six days. Verse eleven, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all uh, that is that that in, that in them is, mm-hmm. and he rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it, mm-hmm. and so. He's answering back, responding back to his power as creator and as covenant maker. And this is all there in his name. When he says, I am the Lord, he wants them to know, hey, I am not just a God. I'm not like everyone else that you've heard about. I speak on my my own behalf and I'm the one who created all this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm entering covenant with you. I think it's so well said and. The, the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, I think hearkens to the idea uh, that if, if everything does not hinge on that, and I believe that's a good another good reason for it to start this way, if everything does not start with the, the idea that God alone created the heavens and the earth and, and there was no God beside him, he is he's the only one. Um, and, of course, he... Harnesses all power, um, 
he's omnipresent, omniscient. He's uh, within him is all creative ability. Um, and so with the, no other God beside him, this is the hinge point. In, in my opinion, this is how I view it because the rest of the commandments really don't mean much if there's more than one, right? Because if, if he, if there's power spread between multiple gods, then when it gets to thou shalt not murder, well, that really doesn't mean so much to me because if, if there's, if God is not the, um, the author of that, and there's some other being who may have a differing opinion on the, on the matter, he might think the murder's okay. And so if God is not one, then, then it doesn't mean as much. Uh, but because, as you so well said, that he is alone, he is God alone, and his word is the, the he is the beginning and the ending, the first and the last course, it's all throughout the scripture. Um, and so he has the ability as God, the supreme God, the one and only God, to, to say, because I am the only one, there's only one way, uh, and there's only one way this, this can work. So it's not subjective, it's, it's yeah. objective, right? Um, yeah. So I think it's very, very good. I want to to throw something at you. Now, I didn't prep you for this. Um, I want to maybe throw you a curveball, and I want to get your opinion on something. Uh, of course, this is just my opinion and something that I, I was studying for this conversation. And as I was looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, a light went off uh, in my in my mind. And my mind went to the New Testament. I started thinking about another instance in the Word of God where we find this. And, and I, I see maybe uh, potentially a connection here, and I want to get your thoughts on it if you have any. Um, John 8, 1 through 6. I won't read all the verses just for uh, time's sake, but uh, this is Jesus um, being approached by the Pharisees. The religious people come to him they have caught the woman in the act of adultery. And they say, hey, Jesus, you know, we've caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Um, and according to the law, the law says that she should be stoned. She should be killed for her actions. And we find that, that something interesting happens here. Jesus almost acts as if he doesn't even uh, hear them or he doesn't acknowledge their, their statement. He kneels down and he starts writing with his finger in the sand. And, of course, the Bible doesn't say uh, clearly exactly what he wrote or what he was doing, but he, he almost seemed to re- reject their, uh, their words and ignore them and just started writing in the sand. And they kind of approach him again. The law says she should die for this. She, we, she should be stoned. He, he continues to write in the sand. Uh, and just for reference point, Deuteronomy 22 and 22 says, If a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband, then they shall both, uh, both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, uh, so shalt thou put away evil from Israel. So there was a law in the Old Testament given by God that um, in the act of adultery, the man, the woman, should die. Okay, Now that's yeah. Old Testament law. So Jesus ignored this nonsense, though. Um, and, of course, when he finally did speak up, he says, you know, you that are without sin, you can cast a first stone. Uh, and they dropped their stones and they fled. But that's the point I want to get to is, could it be 
that what Jesus began to write in the sand with his finger, the finger of God, because Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. It was the same finger that reached down from the heavens and wrote on the tables of stone. In my opinion, um, Jesus being God that took his finger and was writing in the sand. I've heard some ideas of what people think that he could have been writing. Um, but could it be that he was writing the 10 commandments because we find these two things in the 10 commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery and also thou shalt not kill. And so he's addressing both the woman's issue and their issue because she had committed adultery. Now she's not innocent. That was wrong, but also they were wrong for saying we should kill her for the, for this action. And so I, I, I think maybe it's possible that he could have just knelt down and with his finger, the finger of God began to write, uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. I don't know. But what do you think about that? I think it's a great question. Um, you got me on the spot here. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> uh, God always has his hands in the dirt, though, doesn't he? Oh, that's uh, good. I like that. We'll, uh, we read about it in, even in Genesis where he takes the dust and he, he creates yes. man out of this. Um, I I, I couldn't tell you. I've heard different things about God mm-hmm. writing there, Jesus writing there uh, in the in the mud and dirt, uh, the the things that they had done. Right. I've heard things of just different different theories about it. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I think I think that it's possible he could have wrote the, written the Ten Commandments. I think so for sure. I, he could have written things that or commandments that specifically address things that they had done. Sure. Uh, sure. There are things I think he could have, uh, he is Jesus. If we read one thing throughout the book of John, John two tells us that, uh, which leads us into John three. We always ask the question when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's like, Hey, how do I, uh, we know you're, you're a rabbi sent from God. No one can do these things except, mm-hmm. except for that. And, uh, his response is straight to what Nicodemus has in his heart. He wants to address that because he knows this is what you're asking. What, why are you really here? Right. Um, but we ask the question, how did, you know, why did Jesus just pivot? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we read right before that, the two verses that precede that in John 2, where it says that he knew all men and knew what was in man, and he needed not that any should testify of. So Jesus, I think he could have written there really anything. He could have written exactly what they had been doing. Um, I've heard people ask the question, how did they know where to find this woman if she was, you don't commit adultery in public. Right. Um, how did these people know exactly where to find her? Mm. Um, why were they out looking? Right. So Jesus could have addressed directly. Hey, I, I know that you were that I've heard people and this is a little bit more uh, speculative theology. I like sure. to call it. Uh, but I, I've heard people even say I, Jesus wrote the times where they were visiting. Her. Ah, could have been. And uh, it could have been, it, it been a, a number of things. I know a few things from the, the, the gospel of John is that, Jesus knew exactly what those where those people were. Absolutely, uh, knew exactly who they were, and uh, he didn't need anybody to tell uh, him really where they had found her. He already knew where they found her. He sure. knew uh, what she had been dealing with, especially if we read John four. He comes to this you know woman at the well, and he's like, "Hey, I already know you've got this amount of husbands, and the one that you're with now is not not even your husband, right?" Right. So he he didn't need them to tell him mm-hmm. who she was. He actually didn't even need them to introduce themselves. Uh, so I think Jesus could have written a, a number of things. There Absolutely. I agree. I agree. I, it's just a fun, uh, uh thought, yeah. 
thought uh, to think about. One day, one day I'm going to ask yeah. her. I'm going to ask her, say, hey, man, what did you yeah, write in the right sand? You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let me let me switch gears, maybe something a little bit more serious, and uh, maybe you could speak to this. Uh, Brother Bernard, David Bernard, um, yeah. has said uh, the Ten Commandments is a word-for-word word dictation. Of course, uh, dictation being an action of giving orders uh, authoritatively or categorically. Um, what's your What's your opinion on that? What could you speak to that? Yeah, I, I think here in the text it tells us that God spoke these words. Um, there are some times where we read, especially in the prophets, where there is this uh, prophetic formula. That's uh, kind of the term we use, this, this uh, formula that's used where it says, thus saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we're, we're accustomed to reading it. Here, there's not that indication that it was Moses goes down to speak with the people. We read that, but then it it changes. The the tone changes where it says God spake all these things. So uh, I'm comfortable there with the term dictation uh, where where Moses has here captured. um, I do believe in Mosaic authorship. Mm -hmm. Um, I think here that Moses captured here what the Lord had spoken directly to the people. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some things that, I think really are really important about that, right? Because if we talk about this being God saying, these are my rights, um, he's not just saying as creator of everything. He's saying, these are my rights, uh, not just as creator of everything, but to my people, over my people. Mm -hmm. Um, But he lays very, very clear groundwork uh, over who his people will be. Yes. And, there's, I think, an oft misunderstood commandment, the third commandment. Um, and I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but a lot of times we take it as being, hey, don't don't say uh, this phrase. That's sure. basically cussing, right? Right. I think it's I think it's wrong to do that. Uh, but I, here in the text, when we read this text, uh, if you if you look at verse seven, uh, it says, "Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain." And then there is this very, very uh, dramatic or, or, or very, very harsh response to that. It's for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, that's a strong command. It is. Uh, we talk about the commands being very, very strong. There are two terms in Hebrew that indicates a, a prohibition, a command, or, or a, a, a law. There is the low, uh, which is an absolute no. This is this is a prohibition. This is never, ever going away. Uh, then there is the all in the Hebrew, and that is more of a time stamp. This is a temporary thing. This is uh, conditional, or this is specific to this setting or situation. Uh, here it is low. This is, hey, you shall yeah. not take. Uh, and there's the word uh, thou shalt uh, take or, or bear. That word there is nasad. And what it literally gives the image of is, is taking a hold or bearing or having that upon you. Mm. Uh, there's some work done by my scholar named uh, Carmen Imes uh, in this regard. I don't want to quote everything from her book or from her research, but uh, a lot of that is about bearing God's name and living as his covenant partner. Mm-hmm. Now, what's so important to me about this is because God has said, right, this is God's voice this is god's word um him addressing the people that he will call his people Mm -hmm. 
Um, if we compare this to to some of those contemporary uh, documents, they're addressing largely people that they want to call their people. Um, but they're what's so unique about this specifically is while they say, hey, you're going to be my people. God says, you're not just going to be my people. You're going to bear my name. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so he, he addresses them and he moves. We notice where he moves uh obviously to speaking to them uh, of commandments that they shouldn't do to each other. Mm-hmm. That's unique because when we read some of these other documents, it is all about the king. Yeah. And I think what's so, so interesting about it is because he speaks to them as image bearers. Hey, you're image bearers. So this is something you, you're going to have the capacity to do, but now you also have to be name bearers. Mm. Uh, if you look in number six, uh, he he tells uh, Moses to talk to Aaron to to make this blessing over the people. The Lord bless you, keep you, make it stay shine upon you. And then he concludes it with these people that you put my name on. Wow. And this is this is something that I find incredibly important, uh, especially as as we read throughout Scripture and how we enter covenant with God. Mm-hmm. And it is so clear, even from the early pages of them creating covenant with God. It is so clear that God is saying, my singular covenant creating name, Yahweh, that this is the way that you you bear that name. Yeah. You have that name upon you. Um, and you get to the New Testament, and we start to read the, the reflections of the, of the Exodus account here, or as some would call it, the echoes of Exodus here. We start to read that, and we see where they're baptized having the name called upon them mm-hmm. and there's a lot of that mirror reflection well you couldn't enter covenant in the name of multiple gods they they did not accept that you couldn't you have to because it's the king's rights you have to enter under his name yes you couldn't in this case god is saying hey i am not just gods or i'm not just a member or a person within this being he's saying listen i am the Lord. Yes. I am Yahweh. I'm speaking to you, directing you, uh, addressing you directly from my name. Mm-hmm. And you get to the New Testament. And when Paul in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 13, 1 13, he talks that he's, he's having this whole dispute about factions. And there's this group and there's that group. And Chloe has written to him and said, hey, Paul, things are going crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And Paul's response to that is, hey, were you baptized in my name? Because he understood he has this rich Old Testament theology, right? He's a mm-hmm. Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Benjamin. And he says, I thank God I didn't baptize half of you, right? He's like, <laughs> I thank God none of you were baptized yeah. by me. And I only baptized a couple of y'all. Yeah. Um, but he says, because I didn't baptize you in my name. Uh, there's some work done by, by uh, James Dunn, another scholar, but... Uh, where he he makes some incredible uh, admissions and observations. I, I only quote them because they make these great admissions, right? Yeah, yeah. Where covenant taking and swearing allegiance was done in a singular name. Mm. And so when we look at the waters of baptism and how we enter this new covenant, we talked about the new covenant earlier, right? This new covenant I'll put in your hearts. Mm-hmm. We talk about how Jesus said in John 3, except a man be born of both water and spirit. Mm-hmm. We talk about all this and we look at how Paul used this as well and how the spirit inspires him as he writes. And uh, we see that he says, Hey, look, none of you were baptized in my name, 
he's hinting that there is a singular name that is called upon someone or someone uses to enter into covenant, and that's through the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus. Wow. They love, can only be singular terms. I love how you tied all that to baptism in Jesus' name. That's that's it that's is, amazing. The the word of God is uh, second to none. Yeah, it is so incredible because as I and that's a, another part of that's going that's been going into a lot of what I've been working on in, in my my writing is uh, this Ten Commandments sets the pattern for covenant throughout Scripture. Mm-hmm. They're always looking back to it. They're always referring to it. We have the the Deuteronomy, which is the second telling of the law, mm-hmm. and it's always going back to this covenant that's established. God wants you to understand that he is moving you, making you a people, his people, not just a people, not just any people, his people. But if you're going to do that, you got to take his name. Amen. And so if you'll be my people, I'll be your God. Yeah. Uh, and so if we, if we're going to not just be right, we look at the new Testament, the new covenant. Um, I think about second uh, Corinthians five, where he talks about, uh, being new creatures, mm-hmm. right? The same idea that Jesus, the one who creates, the word that creates and sustains by the power of his word, uh, we talk about this and we look at how we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. It's because we have his name. We have that broken image that was destroyed in the fall, mm-hmm. right? We're image bearers with broken images. That was destroyed. And when we now bear the name, the image that we bear is restored. Wow. It's we're new creatures. So we can't just, we're not just called to be image bearers because that would be broken in, in today's society, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the fall sin has impacted that so much that we're broken image bearers on our own. Mm. But when we bear the name, yeah. now we can appropriately bear the image. Wow. That's so good, man. So good. And God takes prideful ownership of us. Yeah. If my people, yeah which are called by my name. Yeah. Right. Called it's, by my name. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. yeah. And it's, there's so much there. There's uh, that, that even in the new Testament uh, where it talks about calling upon the name of the Lord. Yes. Right. Those that are calling upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, the, the Greek is very, very clear. It's having the name called upon them mm-hmm. that have have that call upon. If you have had the name of God called upon you in baptism, right. And this is, we can't look at titles because he moves beyond just saying, I'm, I'm God, mm-hmm. or he moves beyond saying, I want to be the creator of your life, or he moves beyond saying, I want to be your father. He says, look, this is Yahweh talking. I'm, yeah. I'm addressing you now. Yeah. Right. We look at the name Jesus and it is Yahweh has become salvation. He's become our salvation. Yes. What he's saying is, look, I've come to reestablish covenant with you, but I'm not just going to give you this, this established covenant. Uh, and this is why it's so important in, in Acts 4 is, hey, neither is there salvation in any other name, mm-hmm. right? There's no other name given among heaven whereby we must be saved. That's right. Salvation is through the name. Yeah. We we have to have the name. This is why we've been called people of the name. Yes. Uh, it's, it's not just this. Uh, sometimes we can get into spooky ideas and sensationalism where it's, uh, but it is, it's so important that we have this name mm-hmm. that has redeemed and brought us this incredible opportunity to not just observe what covenant should look like, but we were once a people who were not a people. We were far off. Yes. And now we've been called his own because we are in Christ. Mm. 
So it, yeah, there, there's so much uh, richness there that as we unpack it, um, I, I like to talk about when, a lot of times you'll hear the argument that, especially for us, right? You, well, you, you, your idea of baptism in Jesus' name is, is a, a New Testament. You can only prove that in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say absolutely not. Of course, we, I have I have not used Acts but once for Acts 4 there to That's talk right. about baptism in Jesus' name. That's we've right. looked at First, or First Corinthians. We've looked at the book of Exodus and how it sets the pattern for entering covenant. And, uh, yeah, we, right, we're not just people of Acts, book of Acts. We, we believe the Bible. Absolutely. And so it's, yeah, I think it's so rich to, to start to unpack some of these things. Wow. Well, sounds like we need to uh, look at doing another episode on another topic uh, because it sounds like you're well-versed and uh, in that. And I would love to sit down and talk to you about the oneness of God as well. Uh, But as, as it pertains to the 10 commandments and what you have brought to the table tonight on that subject, incredible. Um, Thank you so much for taking time to uh, explain a more perfect way of understanding the word of God and, and shedding some light on these commandments from God that, that ultimately point us back to Jesus. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, we're going to end it there. Um, but, um, if you would take a moment now, you've said a couple of things about your writings. I want to, uh, I don't want to pry too much, but are you, uh, writing a book or something? Yeah. So I've got some, uh, some assignments that I'm working through. I'm, I'm hoping to have a book format of some sort, uh, I, I don't have a time frame just yet. I'm still mapping out some of those details, but I do have a skeletal outline mm-hmm. uh, that I am working on currently. So yeah, that is a uh, one of my hopes. All right. Well, we look forward to it. And uh, as soon as it's done, you let me know, and we're going to promote it and buy it and read it, and uh, and we'll maybe do an episode on 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 covering your book as well. So I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Brother Zuniga, again for joining me tonight it has truly been a blessing and i know that the listeners will be blessed if you have enjoyed this please reach out to brother zunica and let him know how much you enjoyed him talking about the 10 commandments Um, until next time we pray that you're blessed pray that god keep his hand upon you and love all of you and we will be talking to you next time on the disciples dialogue